0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins.
1: Well, welcome and thanks for tuning in. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, let the showdown begin.
2: We've been very clear. There should not be any negotiations around here. We should not be stepping around uh, dealing with the debt ceiling. We've been incredibly clear here. Uh, This is an issue that is a concept the basic, the basic duties of Congress to take care of, to handle.
1: That was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre yesterday saying the Biden administration would not negotiate with Republicans over raising the debt ceiling so the U.S. government can borrow more money. So if this is the basic duty of Congress to rubber stamp borrowing more money to fund the left's agenda, why does Congress even need to vote? Or Or could it be that this is a neglected accountability tool? What are Republicans saying they want to see in exchange for raising, once again, the cap on borrowing? We're going to talk with Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland. He's a member of the House Appropriations Committee and a member of the Freedom Caucus. Twenty-two state attorneys general have called upon the FDA to reverse its decision that would allow pharmacies to become essentially abortion facilities. Alabama AG Steve Marshall, who is leading the nearly two dozen AGs, says the decision by the FDA ignores both women's health and plain, straightforward federal law. General Marshall joins us later to explain. And once known as a place where books were housed to be loaned out, libraries have morphed into political hotspots of leftist indoctrination, but maybe not for long. Prompted by the once unimaginable drag queen story hours in public libraries, pastors inspired by the success of Kirk Cameron are holding pa- pastor story hours. You know what? I like it. We're going to talk with one of those pastors, Dr. Owen Strand, a little bit later here on Washington Watch. And I mean, it's so almost
3: extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. I and mean, if you said that to most people, most people they think you're just a crazy tree hugging lefty liberal you know do-gooder or whatever and and there's no relationship but really that's where we are
1: yes you're correct that was uh Biden's climate Czar John Kerry at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland yesterday now after his remarks the White House had this to say
4: et um um
1: I couldn't pass that up. How else do you deal with such self-absorbed arrogance? Do they really believe they can save the planet? But that was not all. There was much more at the leftist confab where the global elites flew into Switzerland in their carbon-spewing private jets to lecture the world about climate change. One of the main focuses was to strategize on how the right-wing groups are causing them to be distrusted by the public, and now they have to fight back. We're going to talk with someone who was there, our good friend Larry Taunton, Executive Director of the Fixed Point Foundation, joins us later here on Washington Watch. Also, there has been a noticeable uptick in radical education policies being pushed out of the Biden administration since the November election. FRC's Meg Kilgannon will have details on that. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. That's TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand is made and those things exist by me, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. The identity of the Jewish people was in the temple, not in God. They thought they could, through the temple, make something that was impressive to contain God. But God says not hardly. Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. How will you build a house for me to dwell in? God made clear that he was not impressed. Rather, he was moved by the person with a humble heart who feared God yielding to his word. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. By the way, don't miss a chance to get your copy of my new book, Jeremiah, Courage in a Cancel Culture. This 40-day study guide unpacks lessons from the prophet Jeremiah's bold stand for truth, the Lord's warning of coming judgment, and some of the most hope-filled promises in all of the Bible. So jumpstart your faith today. Text Jeremiah, that's J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H, Jeremiah, to 67742, that's 67742, to download your digital copy of our study of the Book of Jeremiah. The United States hit its debt limit today. The House of of, uh, uh, Representatives, led by the Republicans, are continuing to push for spending cuts, even as President Biden refuses to negotiate, calling for Congress to raise the debt limit yet once again without any preconditions. The Treasury Department has started what they call extraordinary measures that will push the real deadline until sometime probably early June. Now, with the Republicans controlling one branch of Congress, could this be a chance to bring government spending under control? We now are nearing $32 trillion in debt. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Andy Harris. He is a member of the House Appropriations Committee, the co-chair of the House Pro-Life Caucus, and a member of the GOP Doctors Caucus. He represents Maryland's first Congressional District. Congressman Harris, welcome back to the program.
5: Good to be with you, Tony.
1: Now, if I'm not mistaken, Congressman, this was a factor in the election of the House Speaker, bringing conservatives along that we would, in fact, address issues such as raising the debt limit, which will only facilitate additional spending. Am I correct?
5: Uh, That's absolutely right. That was part of the negotiation. That was part of the agreement that we actually take a stand and we don't raise the debt ceiling uh, without some cuts, without some capping of spending, without, uh, uh, you know, an effort eventually to balance our budget. We think that's, that's essential.
1: So explain for our listeners, as we look at where our debt has gone over the last 20 years, I mean, we are now, as I mentioned, we're Approaching thirty-two trillion. Back in uh, two thousand and ten, we were at about uh, ten trillion. We can't sustain this type of growth in our debt. If we don't address it now, when will we address it?
5: Well, you're right, Johnny. We just have to address it. The bottom line is we can't just keep raising the debt ceiling year after year and just whistling past the graveyard on this. Our our debt to Uh, Debt-to-GDP ratio. In other words, our debt exceeds our entire output of our economy. We are beyond the point where Greece was about 10 years ago when they essentially went bankrupt. Uh, We can't – we have to do something about this spending. It's completely unreasonable for the president uh, to not want to negotiate some spending control. You know, it's like you're a teenager with one of your credit cards, just saying, "Look, just raise the, just raise your my credit limit." You know, don't don't talk to me about controlling my spending. Just go ahead and raise the raise the credit limit. We're not going to even discuss it. It's crazy. We will discuss it. Uh, the president will have to negotiate in the end because uh, the, the debt ceiling is not going to be increased by the House without some spending control.
1: So, so let me ask you about that, Doctor Harris. What will the conservatives in the House, the Republicans, be looking for in exchange to raise the debt ceiling?
5: So so there's several things we can do, Tony. We know one thing we could do is one idea being floated is uh, to say that uh, we will not, we will not, we no longer, uh, come to these, uh, these spending cliffs like we had in October, in December, where we had to pass an omnibus bill. We could have an automatic continuing resolution mechanism at a decreased, uh, spending rate, for instance. We could do what we did back in 2011, 2012, when we actually did cut cap and balance, where in return for a debt ceiling increase, we, we, uh, projected savings over the next several years. Now the trouble is with that plan is that Congress frequently doesn't live by the, those uh, multi-year plans, but it's a start. We we have to do it. We can't pass a clean debt ceiling. Uh, again, it's whistling past the graveyard. We can't afford our debt now. Our debt service within a year or two is probably going to be over a trillion dollars a year just to pay the interest on $32 trillion in debt.
1: And it's only going up under the Biden economy that's driving up inflation costs. Every, every increase in interest rates, uh, is is costing the government more to service its debt. So l- let me ask you this. This is another part of the negotiations between conservatives and the House to support uh, Speaker um, McCarthy. That was that the House would return to something that should be normal. That is appropriations process. You sit on the Appropriations Committee. We have, I think, 13 appropriations bills. We've not been doing that. We've been doing either CR, continuing resolutions, or omnibus, like we have this $1.7 trillion uh, omnibus bill. Since Chuck Schumer took over in the Senate, the Appropriations Committee, to my understanding, unless I've missed something, is not even marked up in a a single appropriations bill. What if we just went back to the way government's supposed to be in terms of the appropriation? That would probably help rein in some of this spending.
5: Well, it would, Tony, but I don't think Chuck Schumer is going to change his spots. I mean, the the bottom line is he is going to once again try to insist on an omnibus bill. That's why one of our plans to say that, look, when we come to one of these fiscal cliffs, We're just going to decrease spending for the next uh, three months or next year by a couple of percent or three percent. Instead of increasing spending, we're actually going to decrease spending. And then then there's no threat of shutting down the government or government shutdowns or anything. And it will be an effective way to bring Chuck Schumer to the table to actually do appropriations bills. One of the other things we insisted on was that any member can offer an amendment on the floor to an appropriations bill if it cuts spending. If it increases spending, you can't get a vote on it on the floor. But if it cuts spending, you're guaranteed a vote on it on the floor.
1: I have to say, Andy, this sounds like a very reasonable approach to a country that has spending that's out of control. I think this is the time to rein it in. But I want to ask you, how are you going to respond? And I say you, the Republicans, how are you going to respond to claims like this that came from the White House press secretary yesterday? Listen to this. Play clip number one, please.
2: They're threatening to kill millions of jobs and and 401K plans by trying to hold the debt limit hostage unless they can, again, cut Social Security, cut Medicare, cut Medicaid.
1: Your response to that?
5: But look, this is Medicare all over. This is what the Democrats do. They try to scare people that somehow, uh, you know, th- those mean, nasty Republicans just want to, you know, push grandma over the cliff. Uh, Look, the fact of the matter is we have to get our spending under control. We're going to start with uh, non-defense spending. We're going to start with with non-Medicare, non-Social Security spending. But in the end, I will tell you, Tony, and you know, anybody who looks at the figures, we should have a bipartisan agreement on how to control all our federal spending.
1: You know, uh, back in 2006, you had an unlikely ally. Um, Then Senator Joe Biden voted against raising the debt ceiling, saying he was not going to support disastrous policies that were um, amassing and accumulating debt. Now that doesn't seem to be a problem for him.
5: Well, Joe Biden has no problem with double standards, whether it's the debt or confidential uh, top secret documents in your possession.
1: Yeah, good point. Dr. Andy Harris, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
5: Thank you, Tony.
1: You know, and of course, it wasn't just uh, Joe Biden who was against the debt ceiling increase back when President Bush, George W. Bush, was in the White House. Uh, Chuck Schumer also did so. In fact, Chuck Schumer was uh, head of the Democratic Senatorial Committee, and he ran campaign ads against Republicans like uh Governor DeWine in Ohio for voting to raise the debt ceiling. Hmm. Interesting how this becomes such a partisan issue. But I will say the what the conservatives and the House were able to accomplish in the speaker's race and what the speaker agreed to is quite significant. As I said, when that happened. This could be the first good thing we've had in government in a long time. All right, stick with us. More Washington Watch on the other side of this break.
0: Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org. bible
6: 1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online Center for Biblical Worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit
2: frc.org worldview.
7: Learn more at FRC.org forward slash life.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you uh, with us on this Thursday afternoon. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, I've discussed this many times, and I'm going to continue to discuss it, and that is the decision, unilateral decision, by the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, to change its rules to allow pharmacies to sell chemical abortion pills. I mean, this essentially makes them abortion facilities almost on every corner. And the national change, like CVS and Walgreens, have already stated they're going through the, quote-unquote, approval process to be certified so that they can can join the abortion industry. Well, I'm not the only one that's concerned about this. Uh, In fact, a group of 22 state attorneys general recently sent a letter to the head of the FDA blasting the decision, calling it both illegal and dangerous. Joining me now to uh, discuss this is one of the authors of the letter. In fact, the one leading the effort, Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall. General, welcome back to the program.
3: Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you.
1: Uh, before we begin, I know your state is recently touched by tragedy with the tornado damage, and yeah. it's good to see you know, the resilience of the people of Alabama, but also how in these times, and we've seen it so many times in my home state of Louisiana with the hurricanes, this is when you see some of the best uh, in people. And I know the Samaritan's Purse has been there on the ground already with the relief efforts. And so uh, we uh, we certainly have the people of your state in our thoughts and prayers.
3: Thank you, Tony. It was remarkable yesterday to be able to tour uh, what was complete devastation in many people's homes, but to see faith community rally together had a chance to visit with the the staff and volunteers with Samaritan's Purse, who do such a phenomenal job. But it's reaffirming, particularly for those in that community who are feeling so much hurt, to know that people are standing with them.
1: Yeah, and Samaritan's Purse is a great organization. Regarding your letter to the FDA, how did it come together for attorneys general from 22 states to be united like
3: this? Well, I think you, uh, in your description, describing this as a unilateral move by the FDA, it's another reflection of the Biden administration's attack on red states. They did it with the COVID vaccine. We've now seen them do it on a gender ideology that's radical and, and contrary to state law. And this is just another effort of the Biden administration to attack what states now have the prerogative to do after Roe versus Wade and to be able to regulate abortions in our states.
1: Now, in your letter to the FDA, you pointed out that you know previously back in two thousand and seven, when this was first authorized this uh, the abortion drug, that under the risk evaluation mitig- mitigation mitigation strategy, um, this could only be prescribed with a qualified physician and administered in a hospital or clinic to make sure because of the, the seriousness of the potential health consequences to a mother who took this. What's changed so that now that a pharmacist can just uh, hand this over or it can even be delivered through the mail?
3: Yeah, what's changed is the demise of Roe versus Wade. I mean, that's the only change here because this rule was adopted to make sure that women's health was protected. And we know that the physician's examination of a woman is extremely important with this medication because they want to make sure that because the farther along the medication is used in the in the pregnancy itself, the riskier it becomes and shouldn't be used after 11 weeks. And by the FDA abandoning its original purpose in protecting women's health to now try to placate those on the left who would try to uh, integrate abortions into states in which it is otherwise illegal is a reflection that this isn't based on good medical practice, but again, designed to enhance the ideology of this administration, and that is to try to use every vehicle at their disposal to attack what the Supreme Court has done and what states have already, uh, at least weighed in where they're authorized to do, like Alabama, and that's to find these abortions illegal.
1: So, so General, if a um, if a pharmacy were to begin selling this drug in the state of Alabama or some many other states that are on your letter. Would that not be criminal activity?
3: It is in Alabama. And not only that, but it's in direct violation of federal law as well, because one of the things we saw not only with the FDA uh, issuing this new rule, but we saw a strained legal interpretation issued by the Department of Justice to authorize the Postal Service to begin delivering this medication through the mail. Again, completely in violation of federal law, contrary to state law, and I know that I and many of my colleagues are standing ready to be able to enforce our state law if in fact we see these change engage in this behavior.
1: Now, of course, the federal law, the the federal government has to enforce federal law and the Biden administration, like they do everything else. will just see a, a two tiered system of justice. They will not enforce the law here. But in the states, I mean, I would think some of these corporations like CVS and Walgreens, they have some significant liability here if they begin to push this into states that are restricting uh, or protecting women from chemical abortions such as this.
3: No, they would, and in fact, at least I'm encouraged to see some statements coming, at least from one of those chains, that says that they would not do that in violation of state law. But the reality is the Biden administration is attempting to push every button at their disposal to encourage abortions across our country. And fortunately, we have a group of attorneys general willing to stand up and to be able to push back and, in fact, are prepared to take whatever steps are necessary to make sure that state law uh, has its application here and not uh, somehow or another believe that we're preempted by federal law.
1: Now, is there the potential of legal action to stop the FDA in this new rule and um, that they've pushed forward?
3: There is. And, of course, in Alabama, there'll be the opportunity for criminal sanctions as well. You know, we have been very clear uh, from the very beginning, and Alabama proudly was the first state to be able to protect that child for all nine months in utero that we are prepared to go after abortion providers and those who aid and abet in those abortions, which would include the dispensing of these particular drugs uh, with criminal penalties. Alabama legislature has spoken very clearly on that. And as Attorney General, I intend to enforce the law.
1: Well, General Marshall, I want to thank you for joining us today. And uh, and again, this underscores the importance of having pro-life, pro-law-abiding officials at the state level. Uh, If not, we will have no checks and balances against the federal government, as we see right now. That's completely out of control, ignoring uh, the, the plain law, as you point out in your letter.
3: Absolutely right. And it's why I'm proud of my colleagues across the country. All right,
1: General, good to see you again. Thanks so much for being with us. You too. You know, we've been talking about this for a number of years now, but you start to see elections for positions that really... Never got to the radar screen like attorney generals, uh, the attorneys general in the various states, but a very important role uh, because they are probably one of the strongest voices in keeping this administration in check. And of course, then you have election officers like the secretaries of states and other, others that oversee state elections. Those are important roles to make sure we have election integrity and accountability. So every person that's on the ballot is important. So don't forget that. All right, don't go away. We're going to come back with some more Washington Watch when we take a look at Pastor Story Hours. It's a good idea.
7: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. It's good to be back and it's good to have you with us. All right. I mentioned this at the top of the program, but a new book I have out, Jeremiah Courage in a Cancel Culture. It's a 40-day study, a 40-day study guide through the book of Jeremiah. For those of you who are on our Bible, our journey through the Bible, you might find this handy. Uh, And if you're not, you still might find it handy. So if you'd like to get a copy, A digital copy you can download. Just text the word Jeremiah to 67742. That's 67742, the word Jeremiah. Well, speaking of books, as libraries across the nation continue to open the doors of their public, taxpayer-funded facilities to host drag queen story hours, Christian leaders have decided to get in on the action as well. Pastors are hosting story hours of their own. And if the attendance at these events is any indication, there is a pin-up demand for exactly these kinds of Christian children's events. Joining me now to discuss this is someone who participated at a recent pastor story hour, Dr. Owen Strand. He is a provost. He is the provost and research professor of, uh, of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. And he's a senior fellow at the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. Owen, welcome back to Washington Watch.
0: Thank you so much, Tony. Great to be here.
1: Well, you recently participated in a pastor story hour. How did it go?
0: It went great. I mean, what's more revolutionary an act than reading uh, books to little kids at a library? Um <laughs> Today, in 2023, that act is revolutionary, and after I announced that there was going to be a pastor story hour after some other men had started this trend, uh, a local group announced that there would be an inclusive story hour just next door in the very same library, so we weren't sure what exactly to expect, but I tried to get the word out on social media and on the internet, and a ton of people showed up. The room was very hot. Uh, the kids were happy, and at the end, Tony, uh, it was very precious. Three children actually volunteered to pray after we read a book about the gospel and God's design of boys and girls, and one child even prayed that we would have good sins. So it was a it was a bit <laughs> unexpected, but but a good event.
1: Uh, you had a lot of parents there too. Looking looking at the pictures, a lot of adults were in attendance.
0: Yeah, Tony, everyone came out. Uh, People from a ton of local churches here in central Arkansas came out. I think the event honestly had several accomplishments, not that were anything great, but I think it uh, blessed kids who heard some stories. I didn't write the stories, but they're good stories. I I think uh, the adults in the room, the Christian fathers and mothers in the room, seemed encouraged. Uh, A bunch of them asked if we would do it again, which wasn't my thought, but I think we're going to plan to do. And then we also were a witness. We tried to be a witness to those next door. They had a drag queen come and everything, Tony. But uh, we tried to strike up conversations and kindness and warmth. And so so the event had a lot of different facets to it.
1: Yeah, I read the news articles about it. It sounds like your uh, event, the pastor story, our kind of dwarfed uh, the drag queen story hour across the hall uh, in the exchange of conversations. It's always it's good to have conversations. I agree with you. You st- stated that in the interview that you did with the Arkansas paper. But is there a sense that Christians are actually looking for an opportunity to take a stand, not a confrontational stand, but simply do something and say, you know what, this is not me. I'm not for the drag queen story hour. Give me something else that I can be for.
0: I think that is exactly it. Christians are so hungry after being pounded and pressured into silence and submission to all sorts of unjust realities and fake uh, ideas that when you stand up, and you do something, but it's in kindness they're eager uh to show up and support it and so I think pastor story hour honestly Tony, I think it's tremendous it's not hard to do. All you really need to do is be a member of a local library, have a library card if in fact, there are still physical cards at libraries and uh, then you if you are a member, you reserve a room uh, you make sure that the library you know approves it. And uh, you book the room, you show up, you read the book, you have some chocolate chip cookies or whatever, and uh, you smile at kids. We love kids. Jesus welcomed the little children unto him, uh, Matthew nineteen fourteen. And you, you try to be salt and light. You try to share the gospel. It, it's really not complicated, and, and anyone can do it. Pastors should do it. Strong men everywhere should do it. Um, it it's a great opportunity to be salt and light, I think.
1: Uh, Owen, was there any resistance from the library when you went to reserve the room?
0: There was no resistance to their credit. Um the, the Conway uh library, it's called the Faulkner County Library, uh welcomed uh different perspectives. I, I tried to make a point after the event of talking to librarians. My mom was a librarian, so I have a soft spot, I guess, for for librarians. And in talking to them, they said, you know, we think it's great that you guys afterwards were having respectful civil discussion with the Inclusive Story Hour folks. So actually, uh, our opportunity there m- made a little bit of an imprint, and uh, I think they'd probably be open to us coming back. So a lot of us fear the darkness so much in this day and age, like, oh, we've been kicked out of everything. There are some things we have been kicked out, but it turns out there's a lot of ground left to cover there There's a lot of game left to play, and we don't want to take ourselves out of the game uh too All early right. so something to consider
1: but we, but we've got to step into the arena to to we've got to go through the door of opportunity um by the way, personal question with your mother being a librarian, do you use the uh, Dewey Decimal System for your own personal <laughs> library?
0: Um, I need to, because whenever I look for books like these ones behind me, I can't find the book I need uh, commencing a half hour in my study, but I should.
1: Yes, you should. All right, (laughs) Owen Strand, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Good job. Great to see you. Pastors, great opportunity, great opportunity to contact your local library in, in a room and read a positive Bible-based story to children about how God created them. What a way to counter the darkness, bring in a little bit of light. How about that? All right, when we come back, we're going to take a look at what they were doing over in Switzerland. Larry Taunton joins me next. Don't go away. We're back with more after this.
4: What is biblical masculinity?
7: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: All right, it's Thursday. Glad to have you with us. Uh, again, if you'd like to get a digital copy of the new book just out, Jeremiah, Courage in a Cancel Culture. It goes along with our uh, Bible study. It's a 40-day study of the book of Jeremiah, just text the word Jeremiah to 67742. That's uh, the word Jeremiah, the name Jeremiah, to 67742. As they do every year, a cabal of uh, politicians, CEOs, billionaires, and uh, their biggest fans have uh, scrambled for invites this week to descend upon Davos, Switzerland, the sleepy ski town that becomes a temporary home for the world's movers and shakers at the World Economic Forum each January. Now, according to the U.S. climate czar, uh, John Kerry, the, quote, select group of human beings that gather there are talking about saving the planet. Something, quote unquote, pretty extraordinary, even extraterrestrial.
3: I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy, tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-getter, or whatever, and and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are.
1: Yes, you would be correct in that, uh, summarizing that. Well, joining me now to discuss this, live from Europe, where he attended the forum, is Larry Taunton. He's an author, a columnist, and executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, He's a student of both Soviet history and Marxist philosophy, and he's staying up really, really late to join us by phone. Larry, welcome to Washington watch How you doing tony i'm I'm doing better than you because I know it's late over there, and I really do appreciate <laughs> you joining us tonight. Um, so t- tell us about I, I know that there are a lot of focus on the climate. But there was also focus on the quote-unquote right wing that seems to be scaring some of these individuals.
8: Well, you know, it's it's interesting, Tony, that that you should mention that because, you know, think of the power that they have. This this forum this year has um, more than 50 heads of state attending, 116 billionaires, 600 CEOs of major corporations. And then, you know, you add to that some 2,700 attendees, and uh, they seem to have, uh, you know, even control of media, the media narrative. CNN published a piece today uh, basically saying criticism of the forum. It's just all right-wing conspiracy theories. But these people are obsessed with control. They, they can't tolerate criticism. And today, today, Tony, I have received two notifications from Twitter that there have been complaints about my tweets on the forum. And um, they were notifying me to let me know. One came out of Germany and the next one out of Pakistan from the Pakistani government demanding my tweets be taken down. Now, So far, uh Twitter hasn't done it, but the point being, it, 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 you, they're just obsessed with control, and they can't tolerate, you know, a, a you know, a small timer, you know, like me.
1: It, it shows number one that the, the that the vast majority of the citizens, or at least I can speak for the United States, and I think for most governments are not, or most countries, are not in line with this leftist agenda that they're advancing there that really really would impoverish a large portion of the world's population if they succeeded in what they were trying to do?
8: Yeah, I think, Tony, that we both know and both believe, you know, just from prior conversations, we're on the same page and saying that we believe smaller governments is better, but it is the nature of governments to govern. It is the nature of legislatures to legislate, to regulate, to grow larger and larger. And you see what's on offer at the World Economic Forum, what Klaus Schwab is peddling, what he's selling that they want is power. Because you see what the World Economic Forum does is it brings together like-minded megalomaniacs. And their discussions, yeah, there's a lot of do-good discussions, smaller uh, you know, forms. There's the main sessions. You know, just think of it as, a, you know, any kind of conference that you might attend in the sense that they're the main presentations, uh, of the big marquee names, and then there are smaller presentations. And the smaller presentations are all on topics that that almost no one would find offensive you know sustainability is a buzzword uh, you know food sustainability environmental sustainability population sustainability uh, uh, sustainability but when it gets right down to it what they are about is greater concentration of power into the hands of unelected officials and I have to say this Tony What what seems to be escaping a lot of people who are writing and talking about this is that the World Economic Forum's primary agenda is a decrease in the world's population from 8 billion to less than 2 billion. This isn't conspiracy theory. This is the silent part that they're saying out loud.
1: So let me ask you that, about that, uh, Larry, when you consider that, that conflicts with a, a biblical world view of the fact that children are a blessing from the lord and 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 we're we're to procreate within the confines of marriage where does faith play into what happens at the world economic forum
8: you know uh tony it's interesting um i wasn't sure whether or not i'd go to the forum i mean can you can you get it all from afar and uh, discussing it with my board, I finally decided, you know what, I am going to go because yeah, you just never know. There might be things that you glean from being there that you couldn't glean from not being there. And so many of the larger sessions and the discussions, you're going to get all that stuff. Yeah, in some ways, you'll know more of what's going on there than I do in terms of real time, what's happening. But getting there, I realized was extremely important. Because you realize that it is, to your point, it's a kind of religious experience uh, for these people. they it, it sounds cliche to say it, you know, as earth worshipers, but they, they kind of are. And that all of these participants, or at least a great many of them, they're kind of uh, um, members of a, a secular cult. This is the pantheon of, of secular gods and people come there to worship or to be worshiped. You know, a guy like John Kerry, for instance, is a kind of a backbencher in the United States. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, you know, I'm not sure these people could draw flies, at least not in my state. But when they go there, you have all these globalists, many of them very young, who show up and worship. So there is a kind of spirituality here, but it is a very warped, this present darkness, kind of spirituality.
1: So, Larry, do we need to be concerned about what is discussed over this? Is this just a, you know a gathering, a confab of uh, of leftist, big government, uh, world dominating, desiring people uh, that worship the planet, or, or or are there things that come out of this that we need to be concerned about and watching?
8: No, I think that, and this is the reason why I came, Tony. You know, Davos is not easy to get to. It's a it's a small ski town, fairly typical of the the, the ski villages you would find scattered throughout the Pyrenees and the uh, uh, the Alps. And you know, unless you have a private jet, which of course these people do, you know, they fly in in their private jets, and then they can't be bothered to drive from the Davos airport over to uh, you know to the sessions. They then take helicopters. Over, but a guy like me, you know, spent a day trying to get down into uh, this city that's, you know, nestled into the, uh, into the Alps. And yeah, I think we need to be really concerned because while much of what is being said is just window dressing and a lot of the attendees, they're there to sell technologies to government officials or you know, other products, or just to see and be seen, you know, like kind of rubbernecking, as it were, that goes on there. You as a former state trooper know what that's all about. Um, I think we need to be very concerned because they are very serious about these kinds of issues of giving the government greater and greater, uh, AI, you know, control over individuals and about reducing global population. You know, they, they have been pushing, um, you know, kind of a global version of Planned Parenthood for decades now, and that's because they're firm believers that this is something that has to be done, quote unquote, for the good of the planet.
1: Final question for you, and again, I, I do appreciate you staying up late over there in Europe to join us, uh, Larry. I know we've talked about a number of, of things that you observed while you're there. It, was there one thing in particular? that you just was shocking or stunning to you that you witnessed or saw or heard
8: not really nothing that was shocking but there are things that by being here that I did learn and and there're things that that concern me um a great deal rather than coming and you know paying the you know outrageous you know fees to attend the actual sessions, what I decided to do, Tony, I got this idea from reading a book called Davos Man by Peter uh, Goodman, who's, who's not a believer, and I don't necessarily recommend the book, but I did get a few things from the book. And he had said, you know, the real discussions aren't taking place in the sessions. They're taking place in hotel lobbies and coffee shops and uh, in in a variety of other places. So that's what I did, Tony. I came, and I just kind of was a fly on the wall in some of these other places where you know individuals are hanging out, and sure enough, uh, what I what I could see in a really big way is you see the World Economic Forum um, has been pushing and recruiting youth from around the world. You know they use they use the language mm. of uh, excuse me of inclusivity. That is typical of the left. You know, we want to hear. But but what it really is, and I don't think this is too strong to say this, it's kind of like the old Soviet pioneers or the Hitler youth. It's heavy, heavy indoctrination. And you see these young people going around wearing these ridiculous, you know, you know, hats like I'm a global citizen or they're wearing their uh, – or carrying their World Economic Forum, you know, swag – and you realize that they're finding meaning in this because it's it's a it's being part of something that's much bigger than yourself, and in that sense, it's very heady uh, uh, to them. And they're being sold what you and I both know—you know, having seen this movie before—it's inevitable. End is hopelessness. Its inevitable end is disillusionment, because the world economic Forum can't deliver on its promises. It can't deliver on happiness. It can't. You can't deliver on any kind of authentic hope, but these young people all buy into it in a big way.
1: Wow, amazing, uh, Larry! Great to talk with you, and again, I do appreciate you staying up late to to join us there from Europe. And I look forward to uh, seeing you again real soon.
8: Listen, Tony, always good to be with you, and I apologize that I not not ready uh, you know to go a little bit longer. I. I, you know, the more I do these trips, the more I, the, the, the jet lag hits me, the older I get. And I have, you know, from about seven o'clock on tonight, I just have felt like I was shot with a, a, you know, a a dart gun.
1: (laughs) Uh, I completely understand. Been there, done that. Uh, Larry, take care. All right, brother. Larry Taunton and coming. Just he just left the World Economic Forum. He's on his way back, and so he uh, joined us. Always great to hear from him. All right, I want to quickly go to uh, to Meg Kilgannon, senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. Ever since the election, we've seen an uptick in liberal leftist policies coming out of the Biden administration. Uh, is the timing um, suspicious? And what are they pushing, Meg? Welcome back to Washington Watch.
6: It's great to see you, Tony. This is a great follow-up to the conversation with with Larry because they're, Biden administration is on board with the Great Reset, and that means they want to reset our children.
1: Well, as he was just talking about, the young people being drawn into this so that they, they feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. They're being indoctrinated, just as he made reference to what uh, the Soviet Union and Germany did. What's happening in the Department of Education?
6: Well, um, before the election, they were working very quietly and very diligently. And since the November elections, they have been proclaiming more and more what they're what they've been working on. Of course, student loan forgiveness is an important priority of the Biden administration. Um, that impacts our debt conversations. Um, they have uh, announced that they'll be promulgating a rule uh, in addition to the Title IX rule that they already put out. They're gonna do a special rule on sports and Title IX. Um, And there have been revelations too about um, foreign gifts to uh, colleges and universities across the country, in particular gifts to the University of Pennsylvania, uh, where President Biden's um, nonprofit is, Hundreds of millions of dollars from foreign governments given to that university during the time that its nonprofit is housed there, so there are lots of things going on um, and of course the, our children are in the crosshairs
1: um, meg we we're, we're up against the end of the program, but very quickly it, the the timing why did they wait till after the election? Was there a reason for that?
6: Well, I think that these things are not very popular with the American people, and so they didn't want them to be publicized before the election. But now that we're past the election, we're past the leadership races, now they'll be more clear about their goals.
1: Right, past immediate accountability of the voters. Meg Kilgannon, always great to see you. Sorry we didn't have enough time to talk, but guess what? We'll get you back on again real soon.
6: Sounds great. Thank you.
1: Well, out of time for the program today, folks, but I want to thank you for joining us as well. It's always great to have you as a part of Washington Watch. If you missed anything, you can find it all at TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and use that as a resource. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words. The Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing